0: All right, the book of Haggai, Haggai, that guy, Haggai. It's a very small book, only two chapters. Haggai is one of the minor prophets, and he's not called a minor prophet because he was less important. You do realize they're just simply called minor prophets because their books aren't as long, they don't have as much material that's recorded has nothing to do with how powerful or how important the word was that God gave to Haggai or any of the other minor prophets. Only two chapters. We're going to take today and probably the next couple of Sundays and we're going to go through this small book of the Bible written by this prophet. before I read my text, which is going to be the first 11 verses of Haggai chapter 1. I want to read the quote again that I used last week in my message. It's the quote from Peter Lightheart on the mission of the church. We talked about the politics of the church last week. And our lesson today is related Because we're talking about the mission of the church. Specifically today, we're talking about knowing the time. Knowing the time. So here's the quote from last week on the mission of the church by Peter Lightheart. The church's mission is the politics of Christians. It is not some kind of private, purely spiritual mission To which we add political activity. The church's mission is the carrying out. Listen church. It's the carrying out of the kingship of Christ. Confronting the powers and principalities of the world. This is our politics. The church is our family. The church is our city. The church is our nation. The church's mission is our politics. This is what we're to be about, the mission of the church. And the mission of the church didn't begin with us, certainly. It didn't begin 2,000 years ago when God poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The mission of the church began when God said, Let there be light. It actually began before then, because the Bible says that God chose you in Him before the foundation of the world. It says that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So before there was a world, in the mind of God, there was the church. Before you were, God knew you and chose you in Him before He created the world. That's what the Scripture says, that's not what I say. That's the Bible. and You don't have to like what the Bible says. You don't have to believe what the Bible says. But what it says is true. And we might as well reconcile ourselves to that truth and live according to it. So the mission of the church began long before any of us were here, began long before Haggai prophesied. And this is why the Bible is relevant for us still today. Though it was written over a thousand years in time by hundreds of different people, it is relevant for us today because it is God's inspired word. It's His word to His people from the beginning of creation until Jesus comes again and through eternity, his word for his people. I'm going to read this text, then we'll uh, talk about a little bit of background, and then we'll, we'll go through this. Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came "...by Haggai the prophet, to Zerubbabel the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built." Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple, this house, to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages and puts into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts Consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood to build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts. Because my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land, and the mountains on the grain, and and the new wine, and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men, and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you would today, by your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds. Reveal yourself and reveal your word to us. May it Lord, not just prick our hearts, but may it lay open our hearts and expose that we would see the condition of our hearts, for you surely see and you surely know. But Father, in your grace, reveal to us our true condition, our true need of you and of your grace to work in us, to mold us and to shape us Lord, to give us the grace to obey you and be your church, your people, your witness in the earth. That you would give to us the grace to repent of our sin. That you would hear from heaven. That you would heal our land. We ask this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here in verse 1, we have a timeline of this prophecy and who it's addressed to. The prophet Haggai prophesied around 520 B.C. If you know your history, you know that the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem the first time around 606 B.C. 20 years later, they came again because... Judah would not obey the Lord. It wasn't that Judah wouldn't obey the Babylonians. It was because Judah would not obey the Lord. And the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the prophets warned Judah and said, if you don't obey God, God will send the Babylonians back and utterly destroy you, this city, this temple, and carry away this people. Guess what happened? They did not obey the Lord. They did not heed the word of the Lord. And 20 years later, God sent the Babylonians again, and they utterly destroyed the city, the temple, carried away the people. But at the end of that 70-year captivity, as God promised, God sent his people back to the land. Haggai is a prophet in the land, prophesying to the people that had been sent back To rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, Ezra 6.15 tells us that the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Haggai is prophesying in the second year of the reign of King Darius. So this is four years before the temple is completed. So what's happened is the people have come back, God in his grace, brought them back to the land, in his grace gave them everything they needed, put it upon the heart of the king to give them all the money, all the supplies, all the protection, everything they needed, sent them back into the land to do the work God commanded them to do, and here we are almost 20 years later, we're about 16 years out, and they still haven't finished the work. But what they have done is they've built their own houses, they've They've built their own lives. They've done everything themselves for themselves, but they've left the work of God undone. So the house of the Lord is unfinished. The people have become distracted from the work of rebuilding the temple. And have been engaged in building their own houses and doing their own things. And because they have neglected the work they were commanded to do, God has inflicted the people with hardship and suffering. That's that's what he said. You're suffering because you have neglected. You have failed to obey me. Now... We're really good about blaming the devil for all kinds of things. And we're really poor at understanding that the majority of our problems don't belong to the devil, they belong to us. Today in our nation, we are all about pointing to politicians and political parties and liberals or conservatives and radicals and whatever else. But what we're not good at is looking in the mirror and saying, you know what, the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. The problem's in my own heart. The problem's in my heart. The problem's in your heart. And God sent suffering to His people trying to get them to heed his word and his warnings, but they did not. Now you would think after all that, that people had experienced with the devastation and destruction, and utter the utter destruction that was brought by the Babylonians 70 years prior, you would think they would have been Johnny on the spot to obey God and to do whatever God had told them to do. But once again, they're not. Now God, after sending suffering, drought, limiting their ability to even sustain themselves, God sends his prophet to warn and to encourage his people back to devoted obedience. Not begrudging obedience, not unwilling obedience, but to devoted obedience because they love him. Because they realize how much God loves them. This is what God wants. God wants his people out of love for him to obey him. Because they realize that he has loved them. And poured his grace into their lives. This is what he has done for us. God sends the prophet to stir the people. To return to the work of rebuilding and finishing the temple. Verse 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, This people says. Now that's something I think we should make note of. God is sending the prophet. The prophet's talking to the governor and the high priest, Rubabel and Joshua. And God says to the prophet, This people says. Don't ever think that God doesn't hear what we say. God hears what we say. God knows what we say. He knows it before we speak it out of our mouth. He hears us say it in our heart and in our mind. He knows what we're saying. This people says the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. This people did not know the time. I think it's fair to say that if we look across the landscape of the church today, in 2022 in America, I I think it would be safe to say the church does not know the time. Because I believe if the church actually did know the time, we would not see the things happening that we're seeing happen. We would not be living in the environment that we're living in right now. In our nation. And we can point our fingers at all kinds of people and all kinds of institutions and all kinds of, of of politics. But remember the politics of the church is its mission. The mission of the church is the politics of Christians. We're living in an age where what people say dictates what we do or what we do not do. We're living in an age in which people have been conditioned to believe and to do what other people say, even when it's contrary to what God says. We run to social media far more than we run to our Bibles to see what the latest culture influencer has to say or is wearing or is doing or is going, but where is the brokenness of God's people going to his word to see what God has said in his word for us to do? Today we're seeing the wholesale justification and adoption of behaviors and beliefs that are not only destructive to individuals and families, but to the entirety of our society. The lawlessness, the death, the destruction, the chaos, the disruptions of our world, of our lives, is not an accident. It's not a result of bad politics or the wrong party in power. It's the result of God bringing judgment upon his people for their disobedience and their sin. I I understand this is not a popular message today. And I understand that there are many people who would disagree with me and say, no, God doesn't do things like that except it's really hard for me to read the Bible and say that God doesn't do things like that. When the Bible says He does things like that and has done things like that all throughout history. This is not happening for reasons that are righteous or just, but because the crowd or the mob long now indoctrinated, has deemed it right. This is how people are making their decisions today. This is how people are joining alliances, pledging their allegiance to to this movement or that movement. It's literally, people are literally being driven by what, what the crowd is doing. We have pastors and church leaders who were once thought to be solid, who now seem to be following the winds of change and the desires of the people that have nothing to do with God. In many situations, people no longer think about why they are doing what it is they're doing. They simply react along with the crowd. In doing so, they're carried along with the crowd. The desire to be approved by the crowd has become more powerful than The fear of God. The fear of man is strong, but the fear of God has faded. There is a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, but the end thereof is death. The crowd can lead you to hell, but only Jesus can save you from it. Follow Christ, not the crowd. This people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. People say a lot of things, and not all of them are right, and certainly not all of them are true. When we hear people saying things that tempt us to listen, we should be very careful. People say things we may be tempted to latch onto. The things people say, the group think, the group speech of our day can become a convenient excuse to follow our flesh into sin and disobedience. Pressure from our peers. What people say becomes our justification for ignoring what God has to say. Especially if it runs contrary to the group speech or the group think of our day. Don't want to get canceled now, do we? They might remove me from YouTube or Twitter if I, if I post that. The most effective lies we hear or tell ourselves are those that not only sound true and good, but actually have an element of truth in them, but are rooted in a lie. The most famous example of this is in the Garden of Eden when the serpent tempted the woman. He didn't come with a blatant lie. He came with enough of the truth rooted in a lie that she fell for it. A present-day example would be critical theory in the social justice movement. I mean, if someone came up to you and asked you if you are against justice, you'd say, no, I'm all for justice. If someone came up to you and said, are you against the betterment of our society? You'd say, no, I, I'm all for our society becoming better. Then that must mean you, you're for social justice and critical theory. N- no. It doesn't. The question is rooted in a lie. Meant to destroy, not to build. The questions of... Critical theory, critical race theory, social justice are rooted in a lie designed to destroy, not to build. We must measure all things against the truth as revealed to us in the scripture. It's not whether we want justice or the betterment of our society, it's how we achieve that end that is most important. There is no justice and there is no peace leading to prosperity apart from Jesus Christ, period. There isn't. It's not man who's, who will bring about social justice or peace. It is the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is, the only, gospel, it is only the gospel of Christ and His kingdom that can provide True social justice, true peace, true prosperity. If that is true, and it is, then it's not what this people or this group or any other has to say that is most important. It is what the Lord has already said. Then the word of the Lord came. When man has finished with all he has to say, when the people finish saying whatever it is they will say, the word of the Lord remains above all that man can say or will say. The words of man will fail, but the word of the Lord will never fail. It will never pass away. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, in this temple, this house, literally that's what the word is, this house to lie in ruins. The Lord does not only question our actions, He questions the timing of our actions. It may be that what we're doing is not wrong, it just may be the wrong time. It's, it, there's nothing wrong with living in, in a finished house. But God says you've, You've set all of these other things as more important than what I have commanded you to do. God's not against us living in finished homes. He's against us neglecting his house for our own. This is much greater than the church needing a paint job or a new AC. Though that, that could apply here too. In fact, we do need a new AC. But that's not the point here. The question in verse 4 is about our priorities. The question in verse 4 that God is asking the people is, do you know the time? Do you understand the time? Nothing is to take priority over our obedience to the Lord. Does the mission of God take priority over our own personal mission? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. We all have personal dreams and goals, some more clearly delineated than others, but we have them. Those dreams and goals can be immediate in the moment or they can be years in the future. My dream could be getting to my easy chair or my bed to relax. It could be watching that movie or going to that restaurant. It could be a new car, a new home. There's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things until they take priority over the mission of Christ and of his church. Until our obedience to our own dreams and visions become our disobedience to God. That's when that that becomes a problem. The question asked of God's people in Haggai's day implied that their timing was off It was past time to build God's house. To help them understand this, God sent his prophet. He had already sent drought and much hardship. This was not for their harm, but ultimately for their good. The Lord loves his people too much to allow them to remain comfortable in their homes, neglecting his house and his mission. That was true in Haggai's day. It's true in our day. We're experiencing the things we are experiencing right now, In our nation, because God loves us too much to leave us to ourselves. That might be hard for you to accept, but that's the truth. We're living a repeat of history right now. We can see and we can hear this by what this people today says. Think about it. The drought and fire, the snow and ice, the wind and rain of God's grace Filled judgment is what the people say is climate change. The gods of climate have replaced the God of creation. He is speaking, but we're not listening. And we know we're not listening. You just read the paper, watch the news, listen to the commentary and the opinion pieces and the indoctrination. The conditioning is there Constantly, constantly. Up oh, this hurricane's because of climate change. Up oh, this tornado is because of climate change. Up oh, this fire is because of climate change. Up oh, the the uh, the abundance of snow and ice and cold is because of climate change. Up oh, the polar poles are melting, the south pole's melting, the north pole's melting, something's melting, it's all because of climate change. Have you noticed everything's because of climate change? Have you ever wondered? You just read the Old Testament. Everything God says is a judgment upon sin sin for his people are the very things that we're suffering under in our nation right now. Drought, fire, wind, rain, snow, ice. It's it's all there. Hell. But we don't want to say, "Mm, maybe we should pay attention to God for a moment. Instead, we say, no, we need more carbon tax. We need less carbon footprint, more carbon tax, and more power for man so that he can force you to live in a certain way. And God will allow that authority to be forced upon us if we continue in our sin. He will. Today, men and women and boys and girls struggle to discern their own gender because in their sin, the truth of basic biology is willfully suppressed and ignored. Many sinfully convince themselves that what they feel is more true than what is real. This lie is being foisted upon us daily through our institutions, especially our government schools, I mean from pre-K all the way up, we are being indoctrinated, whether you realize it or not. It's in the workplace that has become, in many cases, the woke place. And if you don't want to abide, then you can leave. Leave. It's not an overt form of persecution, but it is persecution. And unfortunately, many people choose to compromise instead of take a stand for righteousness. What would we do? Well, we may have to trust God. That's what we might do. White or black is no longer based on the amount of melanin in a person's skin. Whiteness is considered a systemic attitude destroying our world that must be stamped out. Black and white are not colors now. They define oppressed and oppressor, the victim and the perpetrator. We no longer identify the true and the deadly problem, which is sin. You do realize sin is our problem. The solution for sin will never be social justice. It will only ever be Jesus Christ. The Lord is seeking the attention of his people. We might ask the question, is he receiving it? It appears not yet. Let's just look at the church in a broad sense of the word. The church is obviously doing a lot of things that are not inherently wrong, but we are discerning, but are we discerning the time? We may be doing a lot of things that appear good on the outside, but is it what we really should be doing? Are we really discerning our time? Perhaps we need to consider our ways. This is what the Lord of hosts commanded. Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And in commanding us to consider our ways, God gives a list of things to consider. They're right here in verse 6. Listen to this You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. What the Lord described in verse 6 is what we call today inflation. We pay more, but we get less. Food, drink, clothes all cost more for less. We earn more wages, but our money doesn't go as far. We call it inflation. You know what God calls it? Judgment. But we don't like that word, so we'll just stick with inflation, right? Because the Federal Reserve doesn't really understand judgment, but they do understand inflation. And so we're going to trust what the Federal Reserve says or what our politicians say, but we're not going to look to the Word of God and see what God has to say. Now, that's all right for people in the world who don't know any better, but if you profess to be a child of light, if you profess to be a follower of Jesus then you should know not to look to the Federal Reserve, not to look to Washington or Austin, but look to the Word of God to find out what we need to be doing right now in this time of judgment. Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 7, again he says it, consider your ways. Again, the Lord of hosts commands his people to consider their ways. We would do well to consider ours today. The modern prophets of our media and government and culture are sounding the dire warnings of all that is happening around us, but they are not pointing us to the real problem. In fact, they're part of the problem. While they assume to be part of the solution. The people continue to point to man as the problem as well as man as the solution. Do you see the insanity there? You're the problem, but yet you're also the solution. They point to the problems man has created and then point to man as the only solution to those problems, all while pretending that God does not exist. Or, if he does, he is completely irrelevant to this conversation, is the attitude in the world. And that attitude has more than just crept into the church, it has, it has flooded into the church. When you see much of the church giving more credence to what Washington has to say instead of what the Bible has to say, there's a problem. They do everything possible to not only distract us from the Creator, but to shame and to ridicule any who would look to Him as the hope and the solution to the real problem. The creature openly despises the creator and all who seek him. The real problem is sin, and Christ, by whom and for whom and through whom all things were created, is the only solution to our sin, our real problem. Verse 8: God says, "Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may make, that I may take pleasure in it." and be glorified says the lord then he says you looked for much but indeed it came to little and when you brought it home i blew it away well that doesn't sound very nice to god of god does it why would god blow away the things that i brought home well he tells us why right here why god anticipates our question why would you do that god well i'll tell you because my house that is in ruins Because my house, that is in ruins, while everyone else of you you runs to his own house. Because my house is in ruins, God says. Do you know what the house of God is today? It's not a building in Jerusalem. It's not a future building in Jerusalem. The house of God today is present here. It's you. It's the church. Jesus is the temple that was Raised up after the second temple. He was raised up and just 40 years later, that second temple was destroyed. And I submit to you, it will never be built again because the third temple is already here. It's Jesus. He said it himself. In John 2.21... Tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. They said, you're crazy. You're not even 50 years old. It took 46 years to build this temple. And then John commentates and he says, but he spoke spiritually speaking of his resurrection. But they didn't get it. Do you get it today? That you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? That you are the house of God? That's being built up in the earth today? Do we understand that God's house is not what he desires it to be? That there is work that must be done? And yes, we have a part to play in that. Our obedience to God has a huge part to play in that. In these verses, verse 8 and 9, God's pointing to the futility of man's efforts apart from God's grace. Man spins his wheels thinking he's going someplace when in reality he's stuck. God in his grace allows us to remain stuck in our futile efforts all the while inflicting us with suffering that we might turn to him and be saved. This is exactly what we see the Lord doing with his people here in the book of Haggai. To obey is better than sacrifice, Samuel told Saul. We are commanded to obey Christ. If we love him, Jesus said, we will obey him. We have been given a commission to make disciples, to preach the gospel to every creature. We are the house of God that is being built today. We are part of the building and the building process. Psalm 127.1 Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Jesus promised he would build his house. Our labor is not in vain when we are walking and working in faith in obedience to the Lord's command for his church. In Christ we are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 21 and 22 in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's what's happening. Today, you are being built together a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We're living stones being built up a spiritual house. This is what Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The process of building up can involve the process of breaking down. When God inflicted suffering upon His people, He was breaking down the hardness of their hearts so that He could build them up. Ecclesiastes 3. Verse 1 says to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Verse 3 says there is a time to break down and a time to build up. What we accurately call the judgment of God is also the work of God breaking down so that he may build up. Verse 10 and 11 of Haggai chapter 1, therefore, this is God breaking down so that he may build up. Therefore, the heavens above you withhold the dew and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Why would the Lord call for a drought? Why would he do this to his people? The answer, because he loves them. That's why. Many people today find that hard to accept. Many would outright reject that. But here it is in the Word of God. The fact that God says, I called for a drought. On man, on beast, on everything. No area was untouched by this drought that God called for. Why? Because the Lord loves his people. He refuses to leave them to themselves and to other wicked men. He will achieve his plan and his purpose even in the face of their disobedience. By his grace, he will bring about their obedience and their love. You do realize that you did not love God and that's why he loved you. Oh, they love me so much. I think think I'll love them back. No. No. In fact, the Bible in Romans chapter 3 is very clear. No one seeks after God. No one is righteous. We have no desire for God until God pours His love into us. Until God, by His Spirit, brings us alive, causing us to be born again, giving us a new heart, giving us the gift of faith, Pouring his love in our heart, and from that love God puts in our heart, now we're able to love him. Not before. Or the scripture's not true. You can read it, it's all right there. So, who does the glory belong to? Certainly doesn't belong to man, the glory belongs to the Lord. And when God brings his judgment upon his people, it's not because he doesn't love them, it's because he does love them. And he's unwilling to leave them in their sin. You do realize that prosperity never motivated anyone toward God. Now, I'm not saying people in their prosperity can't love God. Or prosperous people don't love God. That's not what I'm saying. When life... When you have everything you need, you've got all the money, all the things, you might give lip service to God, but you don't feel a dependence upon God. It's when God begins to break down, because he's getting ready to build up, it's when God begins to break down that we begin to feel our dependence upon him. It's when God reveals our sinfulness and we are able to see it for what it is that we realize that we deserve nothing we get from God unless it was his wrath and his judgment. But there is no love, there is no blessing, there is no prosperity, there is nothing, certainly no salvation that God gives to us because we deserve it because we don't deserve it. And the most loving thing God could possibly do for us is to reveal our sin to us and allow us to see it for what it is so that we would know that we are utterly and completely hopeless, apart from him, and desperate for his grace and his love in our life. And this is what God is doing with his people in the book of Haggai. And I submit to you, this is what God is doing with his people in the earth today. Some see it, some know it. Some are broken because of it. Some are waiting for God to begin the process of building back up. Some aren't there yet. Because we see judgment still falling on this nation in increasing ways. And as God's people who understand this, and this is why I'm talking to you about this today, because you need to understand this. It's not time for us to freak out. It's not time for us to wonder if God really loves us or not. It's time for us to understand, no, he absolutely loves us, which is why he's judging our nation, which is why he's trying to break us down and bring us to repentance. We need to understand that so that we have hope that we can encourage those around us who aren't there yet, who are still wondering why God would do the things that he's doing. And we need to be able to tell them boldly, confidently, in truth he's doing these things because he loves us. But if we persist in our sin and our unrepentance, he will allow that judgment to continue until it utterly breaks us and destroys us just as it did Israel in her day. Just as it did Judah in her day. Just as he allowed the utter destruction of that temple and that city twice. Actually more than twice. God will achieve His plan. He will achieve His purpose even in the face of our disobedience. By His grace, He will bring about the obedience and the love of His people. He will do that. This is God's promise to his people. This is God's promise, not to people past, but to you and I. It's God's promise to us today. This is good news, church. Good news isn't always easy. This is hard news, but it's good news. God's will shall be done on earth as it is in heaven. The question is, are we going to be part of that willingly or grudgingly? Are we going to surrender to God, submit to God, begin to live spirit-filled lives, a.k.a. lives controlled by the Spirit of God, meaning that we consider our ways, we think about what we're doing. Is it consistent with the Spirit of God? Is it consistent with who Jesus is? Is it consistent with His Word? And if we do that, trust that God will work all of this chaos and all of this Evil, all that mess that we see that he'll work it all together for good, for those who love him and are the called according to His purpose. That's His promise to us. That's good news. We should believe that. We should rejoice in that because Jesus is Lord. He is. and we're His people. And we have nothing to fear. Nothing. Certainly not for man. So don't fear man. don't fear the crowd. Don't fear the cancel culture. Fear God, though. Obey Him, honor Him, glorify Him in all that you do and all that you are. Amen? Let's get ready and come to the table. We'll uh, continue our journey through Haggai over the next uh, couple of Sundays. You count yourself a covenant member of God's people, a member of God's body. You trust in Jesus as your only hope, your only Savior. You're welcome to this table. If you're uncertain, then in your heart right now, cry out to Him. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Your desire to call upon His name didn't come from you, it came from Him. You couldn't have that desire apart from Him. So come. Welcome to Jesus. We'll all be served and then we'll all take the elements together. Let's stand. Here is your charge. Knowing that time is more than just getting our priorities straight. It is knowing what we are to be doing and when and how we are to be doing it. Knowing the time informs us of all we do. It is not simply choosing the right thing to do at the right moment. It is knowing that all we do, when we do it, we do in the grace of God and we do for the glory of God. If what I am doing is to the neglect of God, it cannot be to the glory of God. If what I am doing is in my own strength, in my own wisdom, trusting in my own power, it is not by the grace of God. We are living in a time when man has abandoned the true and living Lord of glory. If not overtly, then he certainly has in practice. The church must know the time and so know what we are to be doing in obedience to Christ. We must know the time we are living in. God is speaking all around us through all that is happening. We must hear and we must obey. And by His grace, we shall. Amen? Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The Lord be with you.